Welcome to Access Control. I'm your host, Chris Duyard, editor for the Total Security Daily Advisor. Today's episode is a continuation of the chat I had with Terry Gold, the founder of D6 Research, at the Total Security Summit this past June. In uh, part two of our chat, Terry dug into the potential costs of integrating security, as well as the logistics of implementation. I hope you enjoy the discussion. So I think the big hairy question, right, is this is going to cost a lot of money or it's going to be somewhat costly versus just keeping things the way uh, they are, having this kind of firewall between the two. Um, How do you convince, you know, the C-suite that there's value in in integrating? I... um... So I disagree. I, I actually, I actually think this doesn't cost a lot. Um, I actually think that it doesn't cost any more than what they're currently spending. First of all, and I would, I would counter that when uh, hackers really start going after physical security more and more. And I can tell you they are, mm-hmm. uh, because I, I also, I also train other hackers on how to f- attack physical security. Good hackers, people that do pen tests and red teams. So um, I'll do workshops, whether it's at DEF CON or other hacker conferences or Mm -hmm. law enforcement, and train them on, you know, what to look for, how to do it. The reason I do that is so they can deliver uh, more improved, more meaningful services to end users so they can learn what's wrong before a a bad guy does it and doesn't tell them. Mm -hmm. And what I can can share with you is when I go ahead and my trainings go live for sign up, Mm -hmm. um, the classes are full within the first two, three hours. Okay which is kind of crazy, I can tell you, because I do a lot of public speaking, and my, 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 my sessions don't fill up within, <laughs> within days, never mind hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I can tell you that physical uh, hackers are so interested in physical security because they realize that if you know any hackers, they'll tell you, the first thing they'll tell you is they're lazy. They're not lazy, but what they mean is they want the easiest route with the least amount of effort and the, the biggest amount of gain. Yeah. That's what they're always looking for. It's a really an efficiency equation. Yeah, it's like a friction to it's, distance. Yeah, it's a, it's a really um, really folksy way of, of saying that I, I, I really want to be efficient, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and what they're realizing is that physical security is like going turning the clock back in time in information security 15 years ago when the good old days are where they could just literally, you know, poke their finger through a jelly donut mm-hmm. and... To them, whether they get through one part of the organization or another, whether the end user or the integrator think that it's, it's irrelevant, I can tell you, um, the, the hackers are going to do it, and they find creative ways from getting from one place to the next to the next. Even if you have air-gapped and disconnected networks and systems, it's they're, they're, the measure of them being successful in their attack goes up tenfold if they mm. can attack physical security. Period. Wow. It's a whole separate discussion, but hackers are realizing that. So now they're literally turning up the volume in investigating and learning and targeting physical security. So we're going to see the impact Mm -hmm. uh, of that. Definitely. Okay. So uh, if you had to say something, you're sitting across from a CEO and you're pitching, integrating physical and cybersecurity. What do you use as a measure to convince them? Well, I, I would. The first thing is, if I'm sitting in front of a a major executive stakeholder, and I work with 500 companies, so it would be rare that I sit down with a CEO of a 500 Fortune okay. 500 company. Um, I think that would be rare for any person that's you know technically or security focused. You know, mm-hmm. unless you just had a major breach, breach worth hundreds of millions. You know, you're not getting in front of the CEO. 
but you are getting in front of, I do get in front of the CFOs, the COOs, um, CISOs, and the CISOs have, quite frankly, they've been, they've become so good at focusing more on their business skill sets and how they interact with their stakeholders mm-hmm. um, and how to speak to them and how to enable them that, you know, more and more you're, you know, you're dealing with them mm-hmm. than getting in front of their stakeholders because they can handle that. Okay. They probably can handle that better than most people. That's why they're in that position. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm giving a lot of credit to the CISOs because there's been a lot of talk over the past, I think, five years of, you know, you know, uh, Security speaks security and executives speak executives and executives just want the bullets. And, you know, there's so many details in security that CISOs have done such a focused. um, And I was on the board of ISSA, uh, Orange County, um, for for a few years and did a lot of the program work. And that was a lot of our focus. You know, how do we get our CISOs and our community to talk to the executives? And it was a feedback cycle. And I just tell you that the whole industry has gotten so much better at that. So when I go in and I work with a CISO, I can trust their, I know they're working with their stakeholders. Now, having said that, the way they work with their stakeholders is because they've convinced their CEOs or CFOs to give them a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And that table isn't, you know, uh, an open table. That table's really around really a risk committee. And the way the risk committee operates is, you know, anybody that's on the risk committee wants to understand how their business operations are being impacted. Going back to the beginning of the conversation. So what's at risk? You know, tell me what's at risk about making making product, taking orders, making money, or damage to our brand, mm-hmm. or and and lives and safety of, of of people and assets. Like, give me the weekly update, right? And certainly, if you go through a breach, you're Experian, you probably didn't have those conversations as regularly. I can guarantee, if you're Experian, you do now. If yeah. you're Target, you do now. If you're somebody that's, that that watch Target closely or Sony closely, you do now. So it's more prevalent that you have this cross-section, um, you have a, a risk team, and you have, uh, and even the board is up is, is probably in on some of these maybe on a monthly or a quarterly basis of what boils up from these weekly meetings or bi-weekly meetings. Okay. And it really is a bullet, it's a bullet meeting saying, you know, here are the top five risks, here's what we need to do from them. And you get a lot of support in those meetings. So I think that I wouldn't be having those conversations to convince them. What would be happening is an organization that already has a stakeholder risk meeting, they already have a what they would call a risk portfolio. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that risk portfolio really contains the, 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 the elements, the programs and elements that they're watching. And that's typically going to be def- defined under the CISO. And the CISO is going to designate somebody, if it's not him or her, to be the risk portfolio manager. And they're basically saying, you know, okay, so if I'm an energy company, you know, our smart meters, that, that's an element of the portfolio. We have to look at that. You know, what risks does that pose and what do we need to do there? You know, our customer systems are one thing. So they have all these things in their portfolio. And so um, when, when, when the CISO goes and has these meetings with the board and, and the CEO, they're not being contested about what's in the portfolio. The question will be, is something not in our portfolio that should be? Mm-hmm. That's a flag. And so I think when you go to a, C, a CEO or the board and say there's, there's an element that hasn't been in the portfolio and therefore you have no visibility to you know, risks, real risks to the corporation, of which there are, and I'll name them, mm-hmm. the immediate reaction is why hasn't this been in the portfolio yet? And you know, damn it, get it in there. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the evolution of a high security organization. And so I don't think you have to do much convincing because we're already on that track. It's only for them to realize there's this whole area that hasn't come to the table yet. Now, once that happens, physical security is no longer a silo. Mm-hmm. They're now accountable. And what are they accountable for? The first thing is they're accountable to share what they're doing. And are they aligning with all those principles that, that, that every single element in that risk portfolio needs to adhere to? Mm-hmm. And that's going to be the first point of exposure. They're not. Why not? Are there any audits? Not really. Or they're not audited the same way or measured the same way. And, the, the, and one of the other important things is if I have a risk portfolio and I have many things in my portfolio and I have many people looking at it, I now need to be able to come up with a measurement. Because if I don't have a measurement for looking at all, all these things the same way, I can't really boil down what the severity, what the impact is, and what, what should I do, what the priority is. Mm-hmm. And physical security really has had, really, I mean, no effective metrics to say, here's how we can judge our effectiveness or success. I mean, it's been binary. You know, did anybody die today or get kidnapped? Or, but mm-hmm. that's, that's different, right? Yeah. So what the biggest shift for physical security joining into this risk portfolio is not just principal process, but now they're going to have metrics imposed on top of them. Mm-hmm. They can't escape. Okay. So it used to be that IT goes and talks to them and they're going to find a way to it not get back to them or tell them everything's okay. But now if you go ahead and don't get back to them or tell them everything's okay, um, you're still going to be rated a two out of 10 and you're going to be accountable that it's two out of 10. You can't change what that two means mm-hmm. because there's a whole program as to how you're going to be measured. And, and so it's pretty inescapable and there's very little I need to do to convince executives. It's more of a aha moment for them of get it together. Okay. And now getting back to the cost, yeah. The reason why I say I don't think the cost is great is because when you go ahead and put physical security into a program that already has uh, principles, principles of operation, people to operate it, those skills to operate it and do the cyber things that we're talking about, um, already has metrics and way of looking at it, uh, I think your cost actually goes down, okay. uh, number one, because you have the people, the process, and the visibility, number one. Number two... The deficiencies for making the upgrades, um, again, you just consider that part of the IT methodology. You know how much it takes to upgrade certain things. You do it every day, and you can you can plan. Number two, you, number three, you don't have to do all these things at once. Mm-hmm. 95% of my risk is in 5% of my physical security infrastructure, quite mm-hmm. frankly. So the old school methodology of you go to your integrator and they want to go ahead and upgrade you, rip, replace everything, you know, forklift upgrade, and then, you know, every, everywhere gets the same reader and credential. No, that's not what you do. That's how vendors make money. Mm-hmm. That's how integrators, I think, you know, that's how they've done things. What I do is when you work with, when you work with the cybersecurity side, it's all about measured risk, measured, um, measured funding. And so your first step can be, you know, let's spend, you know, 5% or even 10% on the initial part of it, which will address 99, 95% of our critical risk. Mm-hmm. And then we'll take the rest of that, that money over the next five, six, seven years, spread it out. And I would contend I'm working with clients on never even actually spending on the remaining 90% at all, at least not on hardware. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're looking into software-defined solutions that mitigate the hardware um, holes. 
So uh, that way you can spend more money on software. It's more iterative. You can update it. And there's a counterbalance and mm -hmm. leave the legacy hardware in place that you can attack the hardware. But on the software side, you would have some kill chain to prevent the actual um, hacker getting any forward between, you know, between point one and point four, mm -hmm. uh, or that you'd be able to detect it and do something about and intervene. Uh, you know, so spend more money on that software side, which is more manageable than, you know, millions of dollars in the hardware. But, you know, for that first tier, I might spend the money on the hardware. And, mm -hmm. you know, business is happy. The business is saying, okay, you know, for a large organization, you know, you'd otherwise say, let's spend $30 million and you're, you're only requesting $1 million to start Yeah. with a commitment of, you know, $2 million a year for the next six years. Sounds a lot better to them. Yeah. And, and, and that, and that approach is much more aligned with what, the CISO would do on their side. So they're happy with that as well. It makes much more sense as, as far as principle why you're doing things because information security knows that they can't spend their way to security. Mm -hmm. They know that if you do a proper assessment, you're going to come up with, you're going to come up with, for example, a hundred items that you need to fix, but you probably can only fund 20 of them. Mm -hmm. You know, otherwise you wouldn't make money as an organization. So they do, they do very calculated assessments around, you know, which 20, how much, and the remaining 80, and what do we do? And it becomes a severity impact to the business study. Um, what's likely, what has the most impact, spend your money there. Uh, we buy technology, can it address some of the lower items as well as the higher items, so we can kill more than just the 20. And then what do we do with the remaining ones? You know, mm -hmm. the remaining ones are considered less likely. It's considered a business risk that they'll take on and review next year again. And this is part of the physical uh, part of the stuff that physical needs to, you know, start to take a look at. And the final step is, I don't think it costs more for to have cyber resilient physical security products. Mm -hmm. End users need to impose that onto the vendors. And so when, you know, for example, if I do a proper assessment of my physical security, I'm going to come out with a matrix that has a lot of red in it. Without exception, I do these risk assessments, um, these threat models, and it's mostly red because the products that are implemented um, are not built with app focused application security coding in mind. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and these vendors don't really have application security specialists on staff that know how to build secure code. So you're going to end up with something that that's problematic. And so what I would advise every end user to do is when they work with their vendor to learn about their application security coding processes. How do they know that secure code goes into the, into the product? How is it validated? Uh, how do they work with the hacker community for when things are reported? When do I know about them? When are they fixed? This is all detailed in my research mm -hmm. as to what end users should do, what questions they should ask, what the impacts, what type of threats. You know, we have about like 100 different cybersecurity methods detailed in the report and you can go look at them, where do they exist? So it gets very detailed, but but certainly you can qualify vendors to say, if you don't do A, B, and C, and we, almost without exceptions, physical security vendors will assert they're secure, mm -hmm. but if unless they can prove it by answering your questions in a way that's believable, then don't buy the product. And right now you're gonna be left with a very thin list Mm -hmm. But it's getting larger. But I think you can impose that. And right now, vendors are starting to get the message. And if you're a bigger enterprise, you certainly have muscle. If yeah. you're a large enterprise like some of my customers and they tell, not to mention any names, but they tell, you know, this Fortune 10 company tells 
this large you know physical security vendor i'm not buying your product because but i'll consider it when you get it together let me tell you they've they've gotten the message and that's making it to the engineering team now and that's what's that's what's happening that's why they, the, the vendors can't avoid it anymore um so I, I think at the end of the day if you impose that to the vendor and the vendor should offer that at the same price because it's what they should be doing all along. Mm-hmm. On the operational side, the program side, that doesn't go up. On the product side, I don't think the price goes up. You might have some upgrades, but we talked about how to deal with those. Uh, so I think the real impact comes down to the integrators, quite frankly, because mm-hmm. the integrators are expected to deal with cyber now, uh, and they don't have these skill sets in my mind. They might have hired a a Microsoft certified network engineer, and they think that that's their cyber guy because they did some networking, networking. But mm-hmm. you know, um, that's not that's not a cybersecurity person. Yeah. Uh, and even if they were, you know, hackers, they get through the network. Then what? How's that? How's that network security engineer skill sets going to help you? You know, you need applications, system skill sets, and you know all these things, uh, social engineering, all this stuff. And so in order for cyber, in order for integrators to get cybersecurity experience on their staff, we're talking expensive resources that probably dwarf the pay grade they pay anybody currently right now. Mm-hmm. Um, these are people that are very expensive. Certainly the good, the good ones are. And um, you need several resources, just like if you went to see a doctor, you have a, you have a heart surgeon, you have a brain doctor, you have a general practitioner. Cybersecurity is not just one person does it all. Yeah. When I do red teams, which is getting paid to break into places and tell them how you do it. I go in with teams of anywhere from three to seven people. It's yeah. kind of like Ocean's Eleven. We, we each have a specialization. We do understand each other and have general working knowledge of each other's expertise areas. But, you know, these systems are so broad, vast, detailed uh, that, you know, you're bringing together a team of specialists. So I recently presented at the Cybersecured Forum. Uh, which is sponsored by the Security Industry Association. It was our first annual conference to get together and really just have a conference focus on cybersecurity and physical security. And at the end of my presentation, which was a wake-up call for the industry, mm-hmm. um, you know, why you should care, why you should care now, what can happen to you, um, I got a call I got a call from, I got a question from the audience from an integrator saying, you know, this is all great, I believe you, but if I were to go ahead and do this, I'm really concerned that I go out of business trying to spend my way just being capable. And then even if I made it, you know, I'd have to raise my prices so much. Who's going to do business with me? Mm-hmm. How do I? How do I do this? Right. So I think the end user is a different situation. They're more of a demand integration scenario, and they have a path toward another department that's that's already operationalized it. On the integrator side, it's it's a purely a step up game. Mm-hmm. And my my advice to that integrator was. You don't. And they looked at me puzzled and I said, okay, let me, let me, number one, your customers that value cybersecurity and you bring that to the table will value a higher price Mm -hmm. or you charging separately for those separate services. Okay. Now, having said that, you can't afford the resources I'm talking about. They nodded their head like relief, like you understand me, but don't hire, don't hire them, contract them. Right. So go get partnerships with third party firms that provide these services. And then what you do is you bring them in and subcontract them mm-hmm. and you make your 20 percent margin, whatever it is on top of that. And you now have an organization like I work with a few organizations, uh, one called Fertim out of L.A., another one, Securicon out of D.C. And I work with them a lot in a red team. So 
they have 20 years of hacking. They're well known in the hacker circles. They've written books and, you know, and I've worked with them to educate them around physical security over the past handful of years where I trust them to go and I do a bang up job to where to knowing where, you know, where the bones are buried in a physical system and mm-hmm. what attaches to what and, you know, the logic behind it. And so my advice is, you know, go find those type of firms and work out a program to say, you know, when I bring you in, you know, it's it's a it's a price for a, you know bucket A, it's a price for bucket B, it's a price for bucket C, and you know exactly what they're going to provide, what they're going to deliver, how much it's going to cost you, and how much it's going to cost your client. Your liability goes to zero because mm-hmm. here's a firm that literally can take on all the risk of 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 delivering it, delivering it properly. Um, you don't really have to do anything up except interface. And, but you're still controlling uh, in control of the customer, the relationship, the sale. And, uh, you know, if you get a competent partner, there's no inherent cost to you. And the experience is pretty good. Um, so that's how I'd be doing it. And then over time, they can decide how much of that work they want to take on and hire themselves. It mm-hmm. could be pieces and parts after they see it go down a half dozen times and they, they, they better understand it. So maybe over time they, they subcontract less. Yeah. Or they're very comfortable with that model. But what I can say is hiring somebody and getting them up to speed on, on cybersecurity. Um, yes, you can get certifications. Yes, you can get somebody that went to school, but it doesn't teach them the practice. And that practice really is, you know, the, you know, I think they always say it's seven years to become a master in anything. Yeah. And that's certainly true in cybersecurity. It's not a, it's not a short path. Excellent. Well, I think you have to uh, get going. Um, so we'll wind down. Anyway, uh, Terry, thank you so much for coming over and uh, having a chat with me today. My pleasure. And uh, looking forward to your talk at the Total Security Summit in about 15 minutes. All right. Look forward to you being there. Thanks. Thanks much. Thanks for listening to Access Control. I hope you enjoyed the second part of my chat with Terry. Uh, stay tuned and keep checking back with the Total Security Daily Advisor for new Access Control episodes. Thanks again for listening. Thanks.